0: Exodus chapter number three, it'll be a familiar passage to most, but I think the Lord will help us as we're reminded of some things today uh, from this this passage. And perhaps you might even hear something uh, that's a little bit different in thinking than what you've heard before. But Exodus chapter number three, we've been kind of jumping around a lot of different texts during our uh, series here on on dealing with things that are overwhelming in life and then being overwhelmed by God as we deal with them. Uh, we've, you know, looked at a lot of different messages. We're not going to move around as much this morning. Uh, we will look at a couple of uh, verses in the book in the Gospel of John. We'll look at uh, a verse or so in Isaiah chapter number 6. But for the most part, we're going to be right here uh, in these first 15 verses of Exodus, cha- of Exodus chapter 3. And so uh, when we looked at, am I overwhelmed this morning by... Uh, my circumstances and by the things of this world, am I overwhelmed with God? And I praise the Lord we have a choice about that. We have a say in that matter. We can, We can, it may not uh, be as easy as just saying, yeah, that's the one that I choose, uh, but we can live in such a way and pray in such a way that we do have a choice as to whether we're going to be overwhelmed uh, by the things of this world or whether God will overwhelm us. And so overwhelmed, typically we think of it as a negative term, but it has a very positive connotation when I'm overwhelmed with God. Uh, And so praise the Lord for that. But right here, Exodus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, and the Bible says there, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the backside of the desert. And came to the mountain of God, even unto Horeb. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, but the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that, he turned aside to see. God called unto him out of the midst of the bush. And said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, draw not, near, draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I, that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come to the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you. And they shall say to me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you, and this is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. And this morning we'll look at the concept of being overwhelmed or the overwhelming, pres- overwhelming God's overwhelming presence, excuse me. I'll spit it out here in a minute. The overwhelming presence of God. Let's pray. Father, again, we come to you this morning and ask you to meet with us. Lord, speak to our hearts. Lord, thank you for these that have come, that have made the time, made the effort. And Lord, I pray now that you'd help all of us to... Uh, settle in and to uh, open our hearts to what you have from us from your word. In Jesus name, amen. Now we look at the setting of the text this morning and again I realize that many of us are familiar with this if not all. Uh, but the the setting of the text finds Israel overwhelmed by the Egyptians. They're overwhelmed uh, by the impact and by the consequence of sin. Egypt uh, identifies and is and is identified as sin, or the and shows the effects of sin uh, in one's life, and so uh, we find them overwhelmed by Egypt. It wasn't always so. When they came to Egypt, you'll remember, and we touched on this a little bit as we talked about Joseph. But uh, last week, we look at this and we see that uh, they were invited guests. They did not just. Uh, just meander into Egypt they found themselves in a time of duress and they find Joseph at the hand of God being elevated to a position of power uh, to preserve and to save life and to fulfill the promise and the prophecy that God had made uh, to Abraham that they would be in Egypt for 400 years Uh, and so as God works and orchestrates all of this out behind the scenes uh, they find themselves 430 years past Joseph, no longer guests and no longer welcomed in Egypt. Their time there has changed. Their position has changed. Their acceptance has changed as, uh, from when they came. When they came, they came uh, at the invitation of Pharaoh. And they were, though they had a hated profession of uh, the Egyptians, they were still brought in uh, and given the best place in the land uh, so that their crops and their herds and their flocks could multiply uh, and so that they could be successful. Uh, Over time, uh, 400 years of time, uh, they were brought under the rule of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And we see that the reason that they were brought into subjection is because of God's blessing. Uh, they, like Joseph, were hated because of uh, their, God's love for them. And they were hated because they prospered and they, uh, they were successful. They were growing into the great nation that God had promised Abraham he would turn them into. And they, uh, their numbers were swelling. And because of God's love for them, because of God's blessing upon them, Pharaoh began and the Egyptians began to fear them. They begin to fear that they would turn inside with an enemy and so the solution to their problem was that they would bring Israel into subjection. And so they by force brought Israel into subjection and ultimately into slavery and as their slavery increased, the, their treatment diminished or was worsened and Uh, To the point where they were uh, just what their their conditions and their treatment of the Egyptians was described by God as not just bondage but hard bondage that their labor was rigorous labor. Uh, We know historically that they're the builders of the sphinxes and the, the treasure cities the scripture tells us the builders of the pyramids were the Hebrew slaves. And they were uh, whipped and beaten and they were held in, uh, and as, as hated and despised elements of the society there. And by the way, don't miss as Egypt a picture of sin that this illustrates for us uh, beautifully what sin does in our lives. They, uh, they, they came to them. Sin came to them. Pharaoh came to them. Uh, when they were at a time of need, <clears throat> when, they were, uh, when they were dealing with a time of, of drought, a time of, uh, of leanness and uh, where they had to come to Egypt and to buy goods and God had provided them the monies to buy what they needed it wasn't as if they had to come but when they were reunited with Joseph uh, Pharaoh's invitation was enticing and the land of Goshen was enticing and they're now recovered from uh, the drought in Egypt and they are uh, a place that's becoming lush and uh, it's offered to them it's put out there hey come here and this is what I'll give you come here and this is what I'll do for you and that's what sin does sin says if if you're having problems if you're struggling, if you're overwhelmed, if you're distraught, if your life is empty, if you're looking for a good time, if you're, uh, if you're looking to forget your cares, uh, look how inviting this is, and look how well you can be provided for here. Just come, and they came, and when they came, uh, things were great for a while, and, uh, and the, it's interesting that with that picture, that that's the terminology that God uses and when he inspires the writer of Hebrews to, to talk about Moses in Hebrews chapter 11, when he says that uh, Moses was willing to forego the pleasures of sin for a season, that he might be the, with the people of God, with his people. Uh, and sin uh, is pleasurable, but sin comes at a high cost. And, uh, and so we see that cost played out. They're enticed, and once they come, they're comforted, and they're cared for, and they're, uh, and they're made prosperous. And then they were ensnared. And they were brought into slavery and ultimately it enslaves and that's what sin does. It woos us and it comforts us and then it, uh, it lays traps for us until finally it enslaves us and overcomes everything that's that who we are and everything about us. We see God working in the life of Moses. And it's not that God wasn't working in the lives of the children of Israel, but God was silent to them through these years. And God was letting sin run its course Now it was time to intervene and to send someone, and so God uh, takes a little baby that should have been executed, thrown in a river, and he protects him. And God's presence is working in the life of Moses from his infancy. And he's brought into the house of Pharaoh and he's raised in royalty and he's trained uh, and educated in the ways of Egypt and taught to lead people and uh, to, uh, to stand and to, uh, and to speak and to uh, compel and to inspire. And Moses then, at about the age of 40, begins to realize that, hey, I'm not, I'm not who I think I am. And he realizes his true heritage. The Bible doesn't really give us all of the details of when he became, became aware of, uh, of, of the fact that he was Hebrew. But at this point he was aware and he goes out with the people. And, uh, and then an Egyptian comes and is mistreating uh, some Hebrews. And he intervenes and kills the Egyptian and enslaves the Hebrews. And when they're in a dispute. Uh, later they look back to Moses and rather than being appreciative and grateful for his intervention, for his salvation, they turn upon him and, and accuse him. Their accusation is not false. He did kill the Egyptian. By the way, when, God, when Satan goes to God and makes accusation against the brethren, he doesn't have to make stuff up. He knows all about our failures and our sin and our problems, he can accuse us legitimately. They accuse Moses. Moses has to flee and he flees to the backside of a desert. But even there, God is working in his life. He ensures his survival. He ensures his training. The allure of Egypt could not silence God's drawing of Moses to his people. And we look and we consider that God was working even when Moses was unaware of his presence. And if you're overwhelmed this morning with whatever you're facing in life, whether it's anything from our political situation to health issues or job issues or family issues, whatever it may be, if you find yourself overwhelmed this morning, don't lose sight of the truth that God's presence is with you, whether you sense it or not. Moses had God with him, even when he didn't understand. Overwhelmed by his identity and the rejection of his own people, he flees from Egypt. And for the next 40 years, he tends the flocks of the priest of Midian, Jethro, who becomes his father-in-law. And he's just going through his routine, and he's humbled, and he is isolated, and And he comes to a place where he just is at rock bottom and ultimately there's nowhere else for him to turn but uh, to tend the flocks of this Midianite priest. Reminds me of the words that Abraham Lincoln once spoke when he said that I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had nowhere else left to go. Moses isn't hanging out in the desert because it's pleasurable. He had nowhere else to go. He had no one else to be with. His people weren't there. His people were slaved in Egypt. Moses faced a constant presence or the constant pressure of being raised in royalty. People that are uh, which I don't think that we've got anybody here really that relates personally very well to this, but uh, people that are uh, that are born into royalty or born into great wealth, uh, there's a pressure that comes with that. That's why you see so many people that are affluent and, and have uh, positions that are elite or powerful that take their own life or turn to alcoholism and drugs and things of that nature. They're overwhelmed by the pressure of their social standing. He had the pressure of being rejected and being impoverished, being rejected by slaves. When you stop and you think about it, not only was he now uh, turned willingly from the allures of Egypt to his own people, but the slaves rejected him. And he humbly is existing and goes out to do what he has to do he has the lifelong pressure of trying to lead a stubborn people to a place that they don't want to go it's interesting that the scripture here uses the term uh, oppression that I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians have oppressed them God speaking of his children in verse number 9 that constant pressure, that constant uh, push, that constant uh, weight of, uh, of uh, dealing with these people for his life. We saw two weeks ago that Abraham's life became overwhelmed by faith. And he gave us a beautiful demonstration and picture of what the faith life should be. And his faith was challenged at times. And he didn't always make the best decision, but he generally made good decisions, and he he was tested, and he passed the test, and it it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and so that faith and our faith will always be tested from time to time. We saw last week in Joseph that Joseph's righteousness, the righteous spirit and attitude and the way that he lived and the values that he had guided him even through slavery and imprisonment and, being mi- and mistreatment and false accusation. Uh, and we saw that for 13 years from the time that he was 17 and sold into slavery until the time that he was 30 and elevated from Pharaoh's prison and made the second most powerful man in all of the world. That for 13 years he bore that, but his righteousness and his righteous values sustained him through that. And then he was empowered. For Moses, there's no relief for Moses, there is the constant pressure, the constant overwhelming reality of dealing with these people to the point that God looks at him and then Moses looks at God and Moses says to God, I believe on more than one occasion, uh, but it's recorded for us at least once, God, this people is too much for me. Pressure, overwhelming pressure, drowning pressure, suffocating pressure, the frustration of his life. But what we see in the life of Moses is that Moses, though at times was overwhelmed by coping with the circumstances of leading this people, that overwhelmingly... Moses is brought to be, brought, in, brought through it and leads gracefully through it and is called the meekest man upon the face of the earth other than the Christ uh, because he is overwhelmed by the presence of God. <coughs> Was the presence of God with Abraham? Certainly. Was the presence of God with Joseph? Certainly. But it wasn't what defined them. They demonstrated for us faith and righteousness. But with Moses, it is the presence of God. And we see that demonstrated this morning in our text as we look here again at these first three verses. He keeps the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law. And then he goes up at the end of verse 1 and comes to the mountain of God at Horeb. Uh, And then in verse 2, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire. Out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight why the bush is not burned. What I see here this morning, first of all, is that the presence of God is compelling. The presence of God compelled Moses to look, the presence of God caught his attention. The presence of God came to him, and when he, was, when he recognized the presence of God, it arrested his attention. May I say to us this morning that the presence of God will draw you to him if you, when you become aware of it. We have to be drawn to God to come to him in salvation. In John's Gospel, in chapter number 6, uh, and in verse number 44... We see this, or, or these words that no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up. Uh, at the last day Jesus states and so there's the drawing of the father uh, to his son the Lord Jesus Christ and then in chapter number uh, 12 in verse number 32 he says Jesus said and I if I be lifted up from the earth will draw all men unto me what is he saying here if you lift me up I'll draw you to my presence, when you're out there and you're not even sure what you're searching for, the Spirit of God, that God the Father begins to draw us to his son to draw us to the savior and moses here is drawn by god into his presence he's out he's just doing his daily routine he is just minding jethro's flocks and as he's out there going about his business he looks up and he sees a bush that's on fire that's not particularly spectacular it's something to investigate a little bit because It's an arid desert place and if you look at the wildfires that are taking place uh, now and do typically always at this time of the year in the western states, uh, it's that arid, dry, windy condition Uh, and when a fire starts it can be catastrophic and so Moses has a reason to be drawn in his attention to this fire and to at least mildly take a look at what's going on there but the fire itself gets his attention a little bit as God begins Begins to draw him. But I want you to note, second of all, that not only does God's presence draw Moses to him, but God's presence was unmistakable. When he got there and he looked, the bush was burning, but it was not consumed. Now it's unmistakable that this is supernatural. Now it's unmistakable that this does not red your register with the laws of nature and what i know to be true this is something extra to that it's extraordinary it's different it's powerful it's something that i uh, don't fully understand but god's presence is unmistakable you cannot mistake the presence of god when it arrests your attention you say, Pastor, I don't, how do I know whenever that happens and uh, how do I know when that comes about me? All I know to tell you is what I tell young men when they come to my office and say, Pastor, uh, how do I know that God's speaking to me or that God's calling me to ministry or, uh, or that this is God's leading? Uh, is that I know that it happened to me. I don't know really how to explain to you the experience of it other than when it happens, there's no doubt about it. You know that it's God. There was unmistakable. this was unmistakably God moving in his life. This was unmistakably God bringing him into his presence. The presence of God will compel you to come into the presence, into his presence. And when he does, it's undeniable. God's presence, my friends, is undeniable. We've gone far too long in our churches without truly experiencing on a regular basis the presence of God. We've gone far too long from generation to generation without nationally experiencing what it's like uh, to walk and to be in the presence of Almighty God. I want to say this, the sight of the bush compelled him enough that he was willing to be inconvenienced to experience it. And when I say this morning <coughs> that we've gone a long time without experiencing the presence of God, I believe that statement is the reason why. We're no longer willing to be inconvenienced to experience God's presence. We're no longer willing to be inconvenienced by faithfulness to uh, the church that God has put us in or to be uh, be faithful to our daily walk with God or to be Faithful to our prayer life with God, to be hungry for his presence, to be faithful and hungry to, to, to pay the price, uh, to pay the price of praying the price to come into the presence of God. The, the, listen, God is compelling us to come into his presence. God is wooing us to come into his presence. But in order for us to truly experience God and to come into the presence of God, we must be willing to be inconvenienced with the cares of this world to climb over the rocks and to crawl through the crags and the crevices of the mountain to get to that burning bush we must come to him David Brenner said God cannot attain God we cannot attain the presence of God we're already totally in the presence of God it's an amazing statement and it's true God, whether we reach out to him, whether we're willing to be inconvenienced or not, God's presence is with us. We aren't necessarily experiencing it, but it's not due to any fault of God. He's here. He meets with us every time we come together. He's promised that he would. But we cannot attain the presence of God. We're already in the presence of God. What's missing is awareness. Are we this morning, are we in our daily lives, are we in our homes aware of God's presence or do we live as if he's out uh, in his own abode somewhere? The presence of God will compel us if we allow it to. Secondly, this morning, not only do we see that the presence of God is compelling, but we see that the presence of God is confronting. Notice in verse number four. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he, Moses, said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from off thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. I want you to see this morning that when we come into the presence of God, we are confronted by the holiness of God. The presence of God confronts us. Isn't it amazing that immediately when he comes up to this bush that the very first thing that God says once he compels him to come up is stop. Wait a minute, God, you were drawing me here. Yeah, stop. Just just wait. When you take the next step, you're moving on to holy ground. When you move across that line, you are coming to my presence at a different level and Moses becomes keenly aware and he demonstrates that in verse 6 when it says that Moses hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God he couldn't even look looking is what drew him there but now that he was close now that he saw clearly The holiness of God. And we see, first of all, this morning, that Moses was confronted by God's holiness. Isn't it interesting that God did not come to him and confront him about his sin? God didn't greet him and say, all right, Moses, stop. Before you take another step, we have to deal with this sin in your life. We have to get this right. We have to get this fixed. We have to get this squared away. No, he just says, this is holy." What I'm saying this morning is that when Christians truly come into the presence of Almighty God, that we are automatically in His presence confronted by His holiness. Without it ever being listed, without it ever being qualified, without it ever being demonstrated that this is sin, the presence of God makes us keenly aware of His holiness, and His holiness exposes the sin that's in our lives. Moses longing for now God's presence, being compelled and drawn to God and willing to go the extra mile, to be inconvenienced to be in God's presence, when he gets there, is confronted by the holiness of God. The second thing that I would say about the presence of God and its confronting us is that Moses became instantly aware of his his own unholiness. It is... As if he's Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 coming into God's presence and listening to the angels uh, cry out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory in Isaiah chapter 6 in verse number 3. And then uh, Isaiah's instant reaction in verse 5. Then said, I, woe is me for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips. The holiness of God confronted the sin of man. No wonder Moses feels inadequate. Moses, a man, always wondered about that. Why could, how could Moses say that he's slow of speech? How could Moses say uh, that, that he uh, wasn't a leader? How could Moses say that he was inadequate uh, to go and lead the children of Israel? Uh, but he was raised for 40 years in Pharaoh's house. He was trained how to lead men. He led men in battle. He was trained how to... Uh, how to rule. He was trained how to speak and how to handle situations. He was taught all of that. And it wasn't just a few weeks of training. It was 40 years of his life and the 40 most most forming years of his life. And those first years before he was stripped of his dignity and had to flee. uh, But he still bore that within him. But when he came before the presence of God, he said, now I'm inadequate. There's nothing more humbling in the life of anyone than coming before the presence and the throne of God. To be confronted by the holiness of God. Moses realizes as he comes that he is in the presence of holiness, and the presence of holiness made him keenly aware that there was no self righteousness in him, that he was devoid of anything right and holy. It was stated by Stephen Furtick. The presence of God will not always fix your problems, but it will clarify your perspective. And when we come to realize that we come to church and that we go to our devotional time and meet with God and we spend time in prayer and we come with an attitude of, I'm a good Christian and I'm walking with God and, I'm, uh, and my life is, uh, is pleasing to Him and that's our attitude. And by the way, those are things that should describe our life. I'm not knocking that. But if I feel that way about myself, I cannot be in God's presence and maintain that feeling. Because compared to the holiness of God, there's nothing righteous left within me. There's only the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ that has been imputed to my account because I have placed my faith in him. And when I recognize and realize that the presence of God has confronted my sin, it changes my perspective on my self-value, my self-worth, my self-standing within uh, within God's community. My self-righteous goes away. Self-righteousness goes away. My egotistical, arrogant problems melt before the presence of Almighty God. My perspective changes. Thirdly, we see not only is the presence of God compelling and not only is the presence of God confronting, but the presence of God is commissioning. God did not go and seek Moses out on the backside of a desert. God did not raise him up in the house of Pharaoh. God did not preserve him in a basket in the river infested with crocodiles as a baby to ten sheep, at least not four-legged sheep. He raised him to liberate a people. He protected him and interacted with him to represent him. He gave him a commission. Remember from a few weeks back that commissioning uh, is not just casually sending, but commissioning is sending to a specific task. It is sending someone on a mission with the right and the power and the authority to speak on behalf of another. And we see here that in verses 7 through 10 that God is commissioning Moses to go and represent him. Notice in, uh, in verse number 7, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters for I know their sorrows and praise the Lord that we have a Savior that has been touched by the feeling of our infirmities. That he knows what we experience. He knows every hurt. He knows every heartache. He knows every pressure. He knows every problem. He knows everything that we face. He understands betrayal. He understands all of the things, that the difficult things that life uh, throws our way. And he doesn't stop there that I know. He said, I am come down to deliver them. And thank God that Jesus, when we were in our sin, said from heaven, I have seen the affliction of the people and I am come down from heaven to go hang on a cross and rise from a grave to deliver them. I've gone. Verse number 9, Now therefore behold the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore and I will send thee. I'm sending you, Moses. I'm sending you to take the message. I'm sending you to stand before Pharaoh. God, I'm, I, I'm not able. God didn't ask him to be able. God just asked him to go. God said that I will deliver them. He didn't say Moses was going to deliver them. <laughs> and the Hebrews uh, look at Moses as their deliverer, but truly God is their deliverer. God sends Moses and sends Moses to talk to the children of Israel to confront Pharaoh and to bring them about. And we see that two aspects of God's commissioning of Moses is that Moses is is commissioned to confront Pharaoh. And when I go to someone and I talk to them about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, then what I am actually presenting to them is the same message that God is asking Moses to present to Pharaoh. Go to Egypt and take with you the good news that you're liberated from sin, that you're liberated from enslavement. Then you're liberated from your taskmasters and sin is a cruel taskmaster. And Egypt is a picture of that sin. And God says, Moses, you're going to Pharaoh. You're going to go and face Satan on behalf of these people representing me. And you are going to proclaim to Satan that he is defeated. And to the people that they are liberated through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Moses takes the message Moses commissioned to confront Pharaoh, and then Moses' commission to lead God's people. When you compare that, and we don't have time to get into this in detail. I think it's pretty evident of itself, if you understand the Great Commission this morning, that what God is giving, the command for Moses to do is exactly the commission that He gives to his church to go out and to take the gospel to the world. It is to go. Take the good news. It is to bring good news that you're freed from sin and begin a new life. Because that's what Moses was doing through God's power for the children of Israel in Egypt. I am liberating you from sin. I am bringing you forth so that you can live a new life. May I say to you this morning that if you were overwhelmed by the power of sin in your life, that Jesus Christ can liberate you from the power of that sin. And if you've never trusted him as your savior, you can begin a new life with Christ today. If you're a Christian that's overwhelmed with the cares of this world, that you can begin anew your life with Christ today. Moses comes and his presence of God, the presence of God in his life, is commissioning to him. Then, fourthly, we see that the presence of God is completing. Moses wasn't wrong when he said, I don't have the power. Moses wasn't wrong when he says, I lack ability. Humanly speaking, he had ability. But he didn't have enough ability to take on the second most, power, or the most powerful man at that time in the known world. He didn't have the power to overcome the armies of Egypt. But it didn't matter because God did. And what we see is that the presence of God completed the lack in Moses' life. Whatever deficiency he had, God made up the difference. There's two things that we see here, and then we're going to touch on God's answer to Moses here. We see that God is complete in his instruction. He did not just give partial instruction. God has given us the Holy Spirit to indwell us. He has given us the full word of God uh, to read and to study. And he's given us the ability to come boldly before the throne of grace and to seek his guidance and leadership in our life through prayer. Listen, there's not anything in this life and anything in this world that we as Christians, as God's people, do not have access to. None of us can stand before God and say, I didn't know. None of us can stand before God and say, I didn't understand. Because he gave us all the information that we need. And he gave us access to the great explainer and the Holy Spirit of God. And he gave us access to come to him in prayer and seek answers for our questions. We are without excuse. God is complete in his instruction. Notice in verses 11 Uh, Through uh, 15, he says to him, Moses said unto God, who am I that I should go into Pharaoh, that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, certainly I will be with thee. And this shall be a token unto thee, that I have sent thee. When thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God on this mountain. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you. And they say unto me, What is his name? Remember, they haven't heard from him in 430 years. There's not been a prophet. There's not been a writing of scripture. They don't even have the books of Moses yet. All they have is what's been passed down from generation to generation. And God has not walked in their presence like he walked in the presence of Abraham and Jacob. In over 400 years. It's not a ridiculous question. When they ask who you are. Who do I say that you are? I am that I am. You tell them I am, has sent you. I want you to consider the significance of that, because generally when we get to this point of this text in Scripture, most preachers just say, and I do it too, I am everything you'll ever need me to be. It's not a false statement. But I want you to notice the Hebrew word here. I am, the Hebrew word haya means to become. God says, I will become what you need me to be. It means to arise. You can't find me. You can't see me. You're not aware of my presence, but I will rise in your life. It means to abide. I will commune with you. You can stay in my presence And it means to accompany. Everywhere that you go that I've sent you, I go with you. You tell Moses the people. You tell them that as they face down their sin, as they face down their ruler, their taskmaster, as they face down Satan himself and Pharaoh, that I will become what they need me to be in their life to free them. And that I will rise whenever they can't find me or see me and that I will abide with them and that I will accompany them every step of the way you tell them that I am that I am has sent you in the presence of God completing him God's presence was complete in his instruction and God's presence is complete in its empowerment he had the power and the courage to stand. He had the power uh, to change a staff into a serpent as demonstration. He had the power to call down ten plagues from heaven. He had the power to stand before the sea and depart it. He had the power to draw water uh, from a rock. He had the power to call manna from heaven. He had the power to purify waters that were poisoned. Moses was given empowerment by God. Moses was in his life demonstrated that God is in fact the I am of their life because God never left Moses presence the presence of God is what overwhelmed Moses did the people overwhelm him at times? Sure they did I mean you could kind of somewhat facetiously argue that they they tried God's patience too because there were times when it was the prayer of Moses that protected the people from God's wrath They put God's patience to the test and they certainly were overwhelming at times to Moses. But ultimately Moses delivered them. Ultimately Moses fulfilled the will of God for his life. It was modified and cut short at the end because of Moses' own sin. But God was with him and at every point and step of the way when the people overwhelmed Moses, when the circumstance overwhelmed Moses, Moses returned to the presence of God, was reminded of the presence of God, became reacquainted and aware of the presence of God and it lifted him above every challenge that God put before him. That burning bush, that pillar of cloud and fire, That rod that parted the sea, a rod that budded for Aaron, the presence of God was complete. He didn't have to wonder what to do. He didn't have to wonder where to go. He went to God and God gave him instruction. And he didn't have to wonder how it was going to get done because it wasn't his own power that he relied upon, but it was the power of Almighty God. God's continual presence in the bush, at the sea, in the tabernacle, all along the way is what kept Moses on course. Listen, I realized tonight or this morning that there are things in life that are overwhelming. That there are challenges, that there are medical diagnoses, that there are, uh, b- that there are uh, shifting political climates in our country toward in hosti- growing hostility to Christians and to people that believe and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not going to diminish, that's only going to continue. We, uh, we no longer live in a world dealing with modernism but postmodernism. We live in a time when we are going to see things continually get worse for those that would call Jesus their Savior. How am I going to navigate that, Pastor? How am I going to be faithful? How am I going to be true? How am I going to face the things that overwhelm me? How am I going to face the betrayal of a close friend or loved one? How am I going to face uh, the the devastation of, uh, of something going on over here in my life or the loss of job or the loss of health? How am I going to deal with all that coming to the presence of God? Come into the presence of God. It will complete you. But remember that he has commissioned you. Go back and remember how he compelled you to come to him. Go back and remember how when, he, when you came to him, he confronted you about thin sin in your life. And that our holy God who compels us and confronts us, commissions us, and then fulfills and completes us to do and to be all that he needs us to be and has called us to be. Moses knew what it meant and what God meant and he experienced what God meant whenever he realized that I am sent him. God, you have become everything that I needed you to be. You've walked with me. You've instructed me. You've guided me. And I don't know who said this as we close this morning, but I do believe that it's true. That in the presence of God, we are continually renewed, rejuvenated, and refreshed. If you need to be refreshed this morning, if you're lifeless spiritually and you need to be rejuvenated and renewed, just spend some time in the presence of God. Pastor, how do I find it? I promise you if you're out doing what you're supposed to do and you pay attention to what's going on around you, that you'll see a burning bush somewhere. And that if you'll be willing to be inconvenienced enough to investigate it, that it will compel you to the presence of God. But be ready. Because when you cross that line into his presence, his holiness will confront you. And once it's confronted you, once we realize our own ineptitude, And really, that's the shift in Moses' thinking and his attitude here. When you stop and you think about Moses saying, who am I that I should go? That statement took place after he was confronted by the presence of God's holiness. Isaiah said, who am I? Then he said, here am I. Moses, who am I that I should go? The presence of God will confront us with his holiness. And then he'll send us out to do what he's called us to do. And once he's done that, and once we step out by faith and go, he'll complete us and equip us for the task that he's called us to accomplish. The question is, am I aware of his presence? And am I willing to be inconvenienced to come into it?